You're listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly masterclass interviews on topics to help you make your first or next step in business the right one. I'm your host, Alex Sanfilippo. Today's episode is about learning the art of stress-free productivity. I'd say we're all under more stress than ever before, while at the same time, we've become less productive. But it is time for a change. Today's guest is David Allen. He is the author of Getting Things Done, also known as the GTD Methodology. Over the last 20 years, David has literally been featured anywhere you can imagine, including on podcasts like Bigger Pockets, The Tim Ferriss Show, Entree Leadership, and Entrepreneurs on Fire, just to name a few. Get ready to take some notes as David shares with us a masterclass containing the five steps of the GTD methodology, which will lead you to stress-free productivity. Let's not wait any longer. Here's my conversation with David Allen. David, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. So happy to have you with us here today. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I want to let you know, I'm, an, I'm a huge fan and honored to be talking with you. And I want to start off with something that you've said that's had a big impact in my life. You said that being creative, strategic, and simply present and loving doesn't require time. It requires space. I'd love to hear where you kind of came up with this, this idea. Where, where did that start for you? You know, it started when I did uh, back in the you know, way before you were born, um, back in the, <laughs> the early days of personal growth and self-development and so forth. And sort of, I went after my own enlightenment and uh, meditation, spiritual practices, got a black belt in the martial arts. And a lot of that has a lot to do with clear space. How do you clear your head, clear your mind? You know, now mindfulness has become something of a pop culture sort of thing. But, you know, I was into this back in the in the you know 70s early 80s i began to as i began my own consulting uh, practice and and little small consult, consulting company that i that i started after all my professions i uh, discovered that, that as my life got more complex it started to screw up space i said well wait a minute how come my life is getting more complex but i love the idea of freedom of mind freedom of no distractions so you can just be present with whatever you're doing so i had tasted that and then as my life got more professional more complex i saw uh, hmm, that's pretty easy to screw up that clear space. So I got hungry for myself to find techniques that allowed me to stay clear and focused on the most meaningful stuff and be present, essentially, because I, I love that experience. You know, it's so great. Uh, and so I then started to cobble together uh, pieces of, you know, best practices that I discovered from other people. I had some mentors that taught me, you know, some pieces of this stuff. And I began to put it all together. Uh, and it worked. It worked for me created more stability, more clarity, more focus, more space uh, using these techniques. I turned around with my consulting clients. We didn't call it coaching back then. Which I was just consulting to friends who had small businesses and were starting up and so forth. And they were a lot of my clients. And I turned out that, that, that the techniques that I had for myself worked for them too. And they loved it and created a lot more space, more clarity, more focus sort of without, it, without fail. So I said, hmm, I think I've come onto something that seems to seems to work pretty well. And then some, you know, big guy in the uh, head of human resources in the big corporate world saw what I was doing and said, David, can you design a training around this so that we could get this into our whole culture? And that's how I started to create this sort of formatted uh, set of best practices that you know we're not born doing, but that became essentially the early days of then what was to become called getting things done, which was you know 25 years later when I wrote the book. Wow. So you were, you were coaching this and teaching people, you know, uh, for, for 25 years before you actually put it into a book. Correct. I didn't know what I'd come up with. 
I mean, it took me 20 years to figure out what I'd figured out. That <laughs> okay. It was, that it was unique and nobody else had done it and that it was bulletproof. And at that point, you know, again, speaking of brand, you know, it had a small little company I had, we had to sort of decide, you know, do we take this global? Uh, and, 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 you know, I got some coaching from some very good friends of mine. They said, David, write the book, you know, in case I got run over by a bus, at least it would be a manual out there. <laughs> and then somebody right. at some point would have figured it out. But I said, I just need to get it out. So getting things done, which is the first book I wrote about this whole methodology. Yeah, it, it was published in 2001, but I started with this methodology in 1981. So uh, you, you can do the math. So I've spent, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours to get expertise. I've literally spent 30, 40, 50,000 hours real time, desk side, one on one. My training, I did a lot of training hundreds of thousands of people in these, in these companies and corporations around mostly the US. And then my consulting turned into coaching for senior people, usually within these organizations that wanted me to sit desk side with them and help them implement the methodology. So I've seen, I've worked with the best and brightest and, you know, used this material and watched it be transformative for them. So then that gave me the confidence to really write the book because I figured you can't punch a hole in it and nobody else seems to have done it. And Alex, I have to admit, I have never had any traditional formal education in time management, psychology or business. This is all street stuff. Wow, that's fascinating. Sometimes that uh, that street smart really goes a long way, even a little further than the formal education at times. Have found. Yeah, well, I think I, I think it allowed me to to figure this stuff out from the ground up without having any preconce preconceptions or preconditions about it. Right. Now, before we jump into the actual five steps that you're going to share with us today, I want to kind of begin with the end in mind, if you will. Can you tell us what this has done for somebody's life, even even yours or somebody that you've consulted with? How has it really helped? What has been the, the impact that it's had? And then I'll share my personal story after that as well. Well, the testimonials are legion. I get them almost every day still, you know, from around the world. People say, oh, my God, this changed my life. How it changes their life is quite unique to the person. But it invariably creates space. What they do with that space is quite unique to them. Uh, they may be more creative. It makes them more strategic, more loving and more present, more innovative, more whatever it is that they want to use space for. And that's been, you know, tremendous. The, the strange paradox is the people who are most interested and attracted to this are the people who need it the least. They're already the most positive, aspirational, you know, positive. That's interesting. Folks. But they already, but, but Alex is because they already know the value of system because it got them where they are. They also know the value of that if they had more room, they could create more because they're already creating a lot. They just, they just full up. They got no more space. And so that's the typical kind of testimonials that we have, that we get people that say, wow, I use this, you know, this sort of changed my mindset. So I cured myself of cancer. Uh, you know, one of my biggest fans, and I can use his name because he was quite public about it for many, many months, was it, Howard Stern. He would tell you it changed his life. I actually gave him room to, you know, manage all the radio businesses he was doing and the entertainment stuff he was doing, and then have time to learn to paint, which he'd always wanted to do. Wow. Uh, so, again, testimonials are legion uh, of that sort, but it's quite unique to the individual. So, uh, each individual, a lot of people, once they start to do this, uh, gives them the courage and the confidence to change jobs and their roles. You know, I know you, you know, the audience listening to this are probably people who might be chomping at the bit to say, how can I go create my own thing, you know, and, and, and not, you know, be, you know, a servant to the master, if you will. 
and to go do that. And so a lot of people, you know, would validate that this was actually gave them the freedom to do that and the confidence that they could. And at the same time, a lot of people said, wow, I was about to quit my job, but that once I did GTD or getting things done, I realized I didn't need to. (laughs) I I actually was now much more in control of my world and my life in in that job. And I actually loved my job, Uh, but but they were burning out. So they thought they were going to have to jump ship. Yeah, it's it's incredible. You know, you actually got another testimonial today, just before we started recording, I gave you one that because you've been someone who's had a big impact in my life. And that's something that you would have never realized if I didn't share that with you before this, I want to quickly share with the audience as well. They've heard part of this story before, at least. But when I first discovered the getting things done methodology, when I first discovered GTD, it was when I was really heavy into a very important role in my aerospace company. And um, I made a mistake that cost upwards of seven figures. And for me, it was, you know, the company just kind of were like, well, we pay you to make decisions. And sometimes we're not gonna make the best ones. And you, we just kind of moved forward. It was not even a slap on the wrist or anything like that. We just kept on going. But for me, I remember coming home and telling my wife, I made a really big mistake today that I don't think I should have made. And then that's when I discovered the idea of decision fatigue. I had so many small things going on in my head that this one really big thing got the same priority as the, the small things. I wasn't able to figure out what to do with that. And that's when I discovered this methodology when I applied it to my life my decisions have been so much better. I've become so much valuable for that company. I've been able to help them more than I ever had before. So again, that's a testimonial I just told you right before this, but that's another example of what it's been able to do. And now the the clarity that I have and the freedom mentally that I have both in my personal and professional life is is light years ahead of what it ever was. So thank you again for, for how you've been able to help me even with this. Oh boy, you're quite welcome. And that's again, that's not a unique kind of testimonial that we get. Uh, though again, the methodology doesn't do it. You did it. Uh, I just sort of, I just sort of laid the the groundwork for the. Here's the playing field, and here's the game, and then you decide to play it. A lot of people are, are a bit daunted when they see getting things done because they they say, well, there's so much to do here because it's not stuff we're born doing. It's actually simple stuff. You know, the the strange thing is that it's not like a new a foreign language or some new technology you need to learn. Everybody already does these behaviors. Everybody knows how to write things down. Everybody knows how to make a next action decision about something that has their attention. Everybody knows how to make a list. Everybody knows how to look at a list and make a good intuitive choice. So, (laughs) duh, nothing nothing real new about this, although most people are not really, really doing that, and they're still trying to use their head as their office, and their head's a crappy office. Your Your brain did not evolve to remember, remind, prioritize, or manage relationships between more than four things. As soon as you do that, which is probably back to the case that you you know, uh, attributed your success to this to, you probably had a lot more than four things going on. And so what happens is you're driven by latest and wildest and not by intuitive strategic intelligence. Wow, that's exactly it. I love what you just said there, that your head is a crappy office. Um, it's true. <laughs> it's true for all of us. I found that to be true in my life. And uh, kind of what you're talking about right now with this methodology, these, these different points, the five steps, they really are simple. And I think that's the thing that really attracted me to it because I didn't need to go buy any tools. I didn't need to make any giant lifestyle changes. There was not a lot to be done. It was just implement. And so I'm excited to get into these today. Uh, so the GTD methodology consists of five steps, which is capture, clarify, organize, reflect, and engage. Let's go ahead and jump into the first one, which is step one, capture. Biggest step to begin with is to get everything out of your head. And the way you do that is don't try to block it by trying to prioritize or organize in order to get stuff out of your head. You just need to do a core dump. 
just go, hey, cat food, I need your right cat food down. Uh, I, I need to look into you know building an equity line at the bank. Great bank equity. Uh, I need to, my brother's birthday is coming. Brother birthday. Uh, I need to hire a vice president, hire VP, literally like that. And just a, a, a capture and, and don't try to hold it back. This is, this is not a commitment to do all of these things. What it is is just recording the stuff that's been banging around in that terrible office in your head. Right. So whatever has your attention, write it down. And that's the first step is to get that stuff externalized out of your head. If you don't do that, the stuff sits subliminally in your head. And some part of you psychologically thinks you should be doing all of them all the time because that place has no sense of past or future. That's why you'd be waked up at three o'clock in the morning by I need cat food or I need to write a business plan. <laughs> they'll, take right. the same, they'll take up about the same amount of space and, and remind you at totally equally inappropriate, inappropriate times when you can't do spit about either one. Now, do you recommend writing these down on a on paper in your phone? I mean, we live in a digital world now. Obviously, when you first wrote this book, paper was ideal. Is that still the case, or do you think it's great? To that's, that's that's still the case for me because okay, because the the more the more you have to click, the less you'll do it. Hmm. True. Right. And you know, every I don't know the old data is still holds true, but I think it does. With every click, you lose sixty percent of any participant anywhere. So. So quick, fast, whatever, my 95, 98% of my capture is, 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 is low-tech paper-based because it's so fast, no batteries, no Wi-Fi required, none of that. And it's not the final system. It's the placeholder that then will move into the steps two and three that then get, it, get what I decide about that into the system. But I need the freedom to just be able to grab stuff fast. But you could grab it digitally. The problem is that's pretty much a black hole for most people. Unless you have the dig unless you have the real rigor to be able to empty out where you're dumping that stuff in your digital world every 24 to 48 hours. So it doesn't lie fallow in there. Yeah, I went really heavy into digital life, if you will, when that first came available to me. The first time I got an iPhone, the, the very first one, everything went digital after that. And over the years, I've I've scaled back and I've gotten more into actually writing on paper once again, because I find it also does something different in my mind. It triggers things a little bit different. So I'm with you. I do it the same way that you do. I wrote it down in individual pieces of paper. Well, if I were to coach you or anybody else, we would first go to your printer and grab a big stack of printer paper and put it right in front of you with your favorite pen. And every one of those ideas, little, big, indifferent, personal, professional, doesn't matter, would go on a separate piece of letter-sized paper. And then those would go into your in-basket. So cat food would go on one piece of paper, hire VP is on another piece of paper. And we put those. The reason is, is because when we go to the next couple of steps, you want to take them one at a time. Now, you can do it anywhere. You can do it any way you want to. So you could just make a big paper-based list. The problem is if you make a list, you're going to tend to skimp around and jump around to the easy ones as opposed to just first item first, you know, and don't, don't, you know, don't go any further until you make the next two decisions you need to make. Right. I'll tell you what, it, to, for the audience today, there is so many fans around getting things done. You can find hundreds of different systems that people have used to be able to do this first step and any of the steps for that matter, search for the one that's going to work best for you. That's what I encourage you to do for us, for David and I, it's writing it on individual pieces of paper for you might be something different, but go searching for that. I think that's really important. So let's move along to step two, which is clarify. Well, once you've jumped all this stuff out of your head, then you need to go through discreetly each one of those items and go, what exactly does that mean to me? First question is, is it an actionable item? That is, is this something you're committed to actually do something about? 
it could have just been a crazy harebrained idea. And you go, yeah, no, I'm not going to do anything about that. Or could have been a restaurant that somebody recommended and you liked them and you wanted to write it down to, you know, prove that you were still conscious of what they were suggesting to you. And then you look at it and right. go, and I'm never going to go eat <laughs> Tunisian food or whatever. I don't know. So you throw it away. So you need to then make a decision. Is it actionable? Yes or no. And we get a lot of stuff and we even capture a lot of things. I do that. There's no action about, and that's either trash, uh, reference material or incubate. Somebody may have mentioned a restaurant. There's nothing I'm going to do about it right now, but I go to my list of restaurants, favorite restaurants in Amsterdam and write it down. So that's just reference material. So it could be reference. It could be something I don't need, or now that I've seen it, I don't need it. Could be I wake up in the morning and go, what a dumb idea, David. Gee, you wrote it down last night, but after too much wine, you know, so that's you know, funny. <laughs> go, go away. You know, I, I probably throw away, you know, 80% of the stuff I write down. I just don't know which 80% that is yet. Ah, so that's right. this step. This next step is to decide which ones are real, which ones I'm actually going to do something about. That's the clarify step. If it is actionable, and this is where a real important thing shows up in this methodology, then you need to make a couple of decisions. First decision is what's the very next action you would need to take. If you had nothing to do but get cat food or hire a vice president, what's the very next action you would need to take or that needs to be taken to move the needle on this? And that means very, very granular steps. Is that an email to send, a website to surf, something to buy at the hardware store? What is it? What's the very next step you would need to do? Once you make that decision, then you need to ask yourself, will that one action finish this? And if not, let's say if, uh, I'd written down brother because my brother's birthday is coming up and I wrote it down. So great. What's your next action? You know, I should call my sister and, and ask her what she thinks we ought to do for Gordon's birthday. And then... Is that going to finish whatever this is? No. Okay, now I have a project. So I've got an action step on it, but that one action is not going to finish whatever this is. The finish is to celebrate Gordon's birthday or give him a party, whatever I decide to do as an outcome. So now I've got action and outcome. By the way, Alex, that's the zeros and ones of productivity. What are you mm -hmm. trying to produce? You get to mark this off as done when what's true. And what does doing look like about it? And where does that happen? And these are very discrete decisions that you need to make about your stuff. And most people don't. Most people have a to-do list that's just still very unclear. They've got on the list mom or brother or bank or VP or tooth or <laughs> whatever. But they haven't decided what, what would be the next thing to do to move to make progress on this commitment. And what's the final commitment that they need to keep track of until they can mark it off as done. And those become a real habitual change for most people. It's a cognitive muscle you actually need to train because you're not born doing that kind of thinking. You have to have to train yourself to do it. It's not hard, but it is unfamiliar to most people to make those decisions when things show up. They'll make those decisions when it blows up, <laughs> but that's those are not the best decisions to make. So right. Better get ahead of it, right? Than behind it. Exactly. So that's the clarify step. Is it actionable? Yes or no? If no, it's trash reference or incubate. That's another uh, no. It's like, hey, I might want to move on this, but not now. I'll need to create a trigger on that for later on. Uh, or if, if it is actionable, what's the next action? And then um, one action won't finish it. What's the project? So you've, you've now generated some data you will need to keep track of. That's why step three moves very, is very close to step two. <clears throat> Where do I park now? Reminders of what I came up with. So that's step three is organized. Before you jump in, before you jump into it, there's one step that you can take that doesn't get to organize, and that's the two-minute rule. 
if you if you decide a next action on something that you could actually finish wherever you are in two minutes or less, you should actually just do it right then. It would take you longer to organize it and look at it again than it would be to finish it. So the two minute rule is golden. That'll give you an extra six months to your life if you start if you don't have that habit already. When I started focusing on this two minute rule and just knocking things out as they came on board, people began calling me a productivity machine. They're like, you get things done so fast. I'm like, well, yeah. it only took me 30 seconds to do Mr. instead of Teflon. adding it to a list and doing it tomorrow. I just did it now. Yeah, Mr. Teflon. And that's those things you don't need to organize unless you need to keep track of something you did in that two minutes, like a waiting for, okay, now I just, it took me two minutes to hand that off, but now I'm waiting on something to come back. So now we move to step three, which is organized, which is once you've done this clarification process, you've now generated data that needs to be kept somewhere. If you don't park it somewhere, you trust that you'll see at the right time and place, it'll crawl back up into your head and that amorphous crappy office. So you need to then make sure you have a good systematic way to keep track of these commitments. Okay, that's a call to my sister. I can't call her right now. I put it on a, on a list called calls, which I have, by the way. If it's uh, something now, I just talked to my sister and she said, David, David, let me get back to you about that because I've got XYZ going on. I'll get back to you with my response. I go, okay, great. That goes on a list of mine called waiting for. So it could very well be, even though I take a quick action, there's still maybe something I didn't need to uh, track about it. So organize simply says, once I've done that, where do I keep track of all the actions I've come up with that I need to take in appropriate time? And what are the projects I need to keep track of? So really then all you need are lists for the most part. So organize just means I need a trusted external brain. Just like anybody listening to this, I imagine most everybody listening to this has some sort of a calendar that they check regularly. Yay. Well, you've already said your brain can't do it. You've got a, a version of an external brain in your calendar. Exactly. So you don't have to keep sitting there thinking, where do I need to be tomorrow? At what time? You know that tomorrow morning you'll look and you'll be there. So that's the building the external brain, which is absolutely critical uh, these days that you've got something. But the calendar only holds a very small percentage of your life and your commitments. So what about all the rest? And again, all the rest, most people, if they even have a to-do list at all, most people still have most of that still in their head. So this whole idea of step three is once you've gone through the rigor or the process of capturing and clarifying everything that has your attention, now you need to then make sure you populate a trusted external brain or a trusted external list manager uh, to keep track of those kinds of things. How many different lists do you have or how do you even recommend keeping track of it? If people actually fully implemented this process, most people listening to this uh, probably have somewhere between oh, 30 and 75 projects, given a broad definition, well, you know, more than one step I need, to, right. I need to keep track of, and over 100, 120 next actions, emails to send, stuff to do at the computer, things to buy at the store, stuff to talk to your life partner about, et cetera. And so uh, you could put all those on one list. You know, your actions go in two flavors, things that have to have to happen on a specific day or time, and those go on your calendar. And then the things to do as soon as you can around your calendar and the around your calendar stuff that you, you don't want to do daily to-do list. My, my calendar only has stuff I have to do today, you know, with external commitments. Uh, but the, all my other actions are on about eight different lists right now. I have calls to make on a separate list. I have stuff to talk to my wife about on another list. I have errands that I need to run on another list. I have stuff I need to do at the computer on another list. I have a list called creative writing. So it's at computer, but it's a different context, more of a psychological context. 
that I've organized those things that I need to do, blogs or a forward to somebody's book they've asked me to do or whatever that take a very different kind of a psychological and even physical context. You know, so organizing by context is what most people over these years have found the easiest way to sort and to manage a, a, a big list of next steps on the moving parts in your in your life. So that that's what I do. That's what a lot of people do. But that's how you would customize your system. What kind of context would I like to organize my my list in? You know, if you if you go to an office, you'd probably want to have an at office list stuff I can only do when I'm in that physical environment. You know, if you're at home, I've got an at-home list stuff I need to do here. Now, I work out of my home, so I don't need an at-office list. My at-home includes all of that stuff as well. So those are, those, are, those are the suggestions about how to start or how to think about that. You could start with just one big list, but if you really did this, you're going to wind up with a lot more stuff. When you go out for errands, you don't want to have to sift through 100 things to find the errands on your list. As a thank you for listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, I'd like to invite you to join our private community for free. If you text the word community to 1-904-299-8992, I'll respond with a free invitation link. Once you join, I'll connect you with other community members and resources to help accelerate your success. Join today by texting the word community to 1-904-299-8992. I'm looking forward to talking to you within the Creating a Brand community. And now let's get back to today's episode. I really like step three. And the reason for that is because I think this is when it really starts to click for people. Because what you just described to us is literally everything that you would think about in a day is on a list where it belongs so that when you're in that environment, you can actually focus on getting those things accomplished instead of having to be like, okay, what did I have to do when I got to the store? What did I have to do when I got home? I was going to talk to my wife about something. What was that? I think this is really when people start to get it. This is when it really clicks for people in my mind. And mm-hmm. for me, even when I first started this, I'm like, oh, I get it. Everything is out of my head. It's on list where it belongs. And sure. I think that for the audience listening, this is, this, is when, this is where it gets really powerful. When you can get to this step. And then we're going to move into the fourth and fifth step here because this is where it really uh, becomes a lifestyle. So the next one is to reflect. Step four. Can you get into that for us? Well, when you're going out for errands, how about you look at your list of errands? <laughs> right. right. You know, <laughs> yeah. When you're waking up in the morning. How about you look at your calendar to kind of locate yourself in space and time in terms of where you need to be when? Those are all reflection processes where you're stepping back and to some degree stepping up. You know, it's kind of like managing the forest instead of hug- hugging the trees. We all have to get down into the detail, but you always need to have some context to be able to step back up and take a look at the larger you know, her horizon or the larger gestalt. And that could be all the way up to, gee, what am I doing with my life, life purpose and vision of success in life, you know, where you want to be lifestyle and career wise, to the goals you may have set for the next year or two that you need to review, down to what's your job description, how you're doing, you know, in terms of somebody evaluating you or how you're evaluating yourself in terms of how's your finances, how's your relationships, how's your fun factor, how's your health and energy. You know, so those are all those are all multiple horizons. And as you probably know, I identified the six horizons that we all have some level of commitments about. Why are you on the planet? The purpose, vision, what would that look like if you were widely successful? Goals and objectives, where do you want to what do you want to have accomplished or finished in the next year or two to get you to your vision? Areas of focus and accountability, which are all the things that I just mentioned, what are the things I need to maintain so I'm healthy and balanced, can get to the goal. And then all the projects you have about all the moving parts of that, and then all the action steps you have about it, about any of that. So those are six horizons, and they all have very different content. 
So you may need to reflect on your annual goals with your company or your team, you know, once a year or every quarter and regroup, you know, with your life partner, if you have one, you might want to regroup, I don't know, once a year and kind of say, Hey, what do we want to have through the next year? My wife, Catherine and I do that at the end of the every year, we do a kind of a completion thing. We make a list of everything we ever, we did this whole year that was new or unique or identifiable as something that was accomplished and finished. And then we turn around and say, what would we like to have on that list by the end of next year? And it takes us all of about 30 minutes to do that. (laughs) It's very intentional though. Oh, it's very intentional. And then that's, you know, so that's all of those are reflection processes. It's just how do I lift up and what, what altitude do I want to lift up to, to then review the landscape and take a look from a higher perspective and just make sure that then I, when I drop back down to materiality and action levels, you know, that they're, you know, more in alignment with what I think the bigger game is. Wow. Have, have you built this into your schedule? Is this something you do on a, on a daily basis? Or what does this look like practically for you? If someone was saying, I want to get more into reflection, what, what does that look like in your life? Well, first of all, you just need to have all the content to reflect on. So once you have that, True. that should, then, then that should become more evident to you. You know, what, one of the things, you, as you may know, that, that we really champion a lot in the reflection process is something we refer to as the weekly review. It's probably the most lacking reference point most people have. A lot of people are blue sky thinkers. Yeah, I've done my thinking about ideal scene and purpose and values and all that cool stuff. Uh, and then a lot of other people, yeah, I have my list of to-dos of what I need to do today and tomorrow. And this, But it, somewhere in between is missing. And so the project level, that is the things that you need, they're going to take more than one step to do. Most people listening to this have 30, 40, 50, 60 of those. Get tires on your car, handle the next holiday, uh, get a new babysitter, uh, fix the tooth that's aching, uh, you know, hire the vice president, you know, uh, yada, yada. And that's the, that list is the one, very few people even have that list to begin with, much less are reviewing that on a consistent basis, which probably needs to be, be reviewed once a week. And so that, as you may know, the big champions in GTD who really get this, they would say that is the essence of GTD is the weekly review. You bring up the rear guard, you bring everything current again, because you might get inspired reading the book or going to a seminar, one of our, you know, one of our trainers who does that or whatever. But that inspiration, you know, is going to last just about as long as the weather does. Uh, True. So you need to make sure you build in some consistent regrouping of yourself to come back to the well. And so, you know, everyone listening to this has had something happen within the last three or four or five days that you haven't had a chance to identify yet as a project, though you have it, and you haven't yet figured out what the next action is, though you know you probably have one. Well, when are you going to do that? So that's the, you know, Saturday morning at Starbucks with your, you know, cafe latte, half, half and half brimmed, what, you know, whatever they, you know, (laughs) whatever they, whatever, whatever she-she thing you're drinking these days at Starbucks. And some people do that just on a, you know, on a consistent basis at work, you know, last thing on a Friday afternoon or first thing on a Monday morning or somewhere on the weekend where you need to sit back and, you know, kind of hold the world back for an hour or two and catch up yeah you know many times i'm so busy i've I've had such a busy week that on my when i sit down to do a review like that there are at least 10 or 15 things to mark off my list i haven't even had time to mark them off much less figure out what's next on them so that's when i need to do that so and most you know most people in the big corporate training world that i've talked to that are responsible for executive training would say that is the biggest lack 
out there and executives is, is reflection time. And for people starting their own businesses, entrepreneurs and startups or whatever, that's also the biggest lack because you get so wrapped around the axle out there in terms of handling this and then handling that and then handling that and all the plates you got spinning in the air. At some point, you got to take a breath, relax, step back and see it from a larger horizon. It's a lot easier to do once you've implemented GTD so you actually have a system to review and something that lets your brain be able to relax and step back at another horizon as opposed to, oh, geez, I need cat food, or, oh, God, I forgot to call Bill, or, oh, yada, yada. You know, so, again, the, it all is pretty much a holistic system, if you will, that as you start to implement these different parts, as they are start to come together, you start to build this kind of coherent lifestyle, you know, that keeps you much more present much more of the time. David, I have to say, I'm really glad that you expanded on this step of reflection because I preach it in almost every episode that I get the opportunity to. So you just took that weight off my shoulders. I don't have to, I don't have to mention it. You did that for me today. So creating a yeah. brand, so important that you get this step four, really important. So let's move into step five, engage. Can you talk to us about what it means to engage? Do steps one through four. Right. So then, Simply and what, put. <laughs> and then whatever you decide to do and then be, involve yourself in or put your attention to is a trusted choice, not a, gee, I hope this is the right thing to do choice. That's all. Wow. And, and you know, in the, in, the, in, the first, in the first edition of the book, we, you know, I don't know if you know, we changed our languaging. I used uh, to say simply do or something like that, right? Isn't that what it was? Yeah, do. Okay. But, but unfortunately, productivity and doing had this negative context of God, I have to work harder <laughs> or have to, do, have to do a lot more different than I'm doing and I'm already up to the brim. You know, so engage simply says, engage, look, just says, do what you feel like doing right now. You know, take a nap, have a beer write the business plan, have the hard conversation, you know, and, and that is totally an intuitive choice for everybody. You know, there are a lot of different factors you can take it. When should I make my best decisions, you know, morning or evening, or when should I do the hard work in morning or evening or midday, or, you know, there's a lot of factors out there that probably could influence when the best time to make decisions about doing whatever you need to do. But ultimately it's going to come down to just step back, take a look at the whole picture. And then trust your gut or your liver or your spirit or your intuition or whatever it is you want to call that still small voice that everybody has. But again, most people are so distracted by so much of their world, they can't tell the difference between intuition and indigestion. You know, was this feeling mean I should make the call or too much chili I had for lunch? I hear you. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, David, I really appreciate the time today. Thank you so much for coming up with the GTD methodology and just the impact it's had in my life. It's been so beneficial. I'm believing now that many of the audience and listeners today are going to begin implementing this in their own lives as well. So thank you for what you do. I greatly appreciate it. My pleasure, Alex. Thanks. the opportunity to continue talking with David offline for a while longer. And what I really picked up from him was that there's two critical elements to the GTD methodology, completion and creativity. When you follow this five-step methodology, you experience a sense of completion. And as a result, you free up your mind, making room for creativity. And creativity will lead you to success in life and in business. Now, this leads me to a question I'd like for you to answer. What action will you take to get things done now that you've listened to this episode? If you visit creatingabrand.com slash 043, you can leave a comment just below the notes sections. I'll be looking forward to reading your response there. David, thank you again for being a guest. It was an honor to have you on the show. If you would like to learn more about David Allen and pick up a copy of his book, Getting Things Done, visit creatingabrand.com slash 043. Thank you as always for listening. And I'm looking forward to bringing you another masterclass episode next week.